The Major Spoilers podcast covers news, reviews, and of course, spoilers, and goes into details about the topics discussed. So if you haven't read, listened, or watched the items we talk about, you might want to come back later. I'm Matthew. I'm Rodrigo. And I'm Stephen, and you're listening to the Major Spoilers podcast, the podcast for pop culture and comic fans. In this issue, inside us all, there are monsters, and monstrous aims to let hers out. Mine's actually a chartreuse monster that loves cannolis. Uh, there's a new doctor in town, Westworld in the Wings, and a full slate of comic book reviews to quench your metaphorical thirst for pop culture. If you love comics, and you know we do too, then you owe it to yourself to grab a comfy spot and prepare for entertainment, erudition, and a frisson of elocution. As the Major Spoiler Podcast announces, it's on the air. Welcome to issue 976 of the Major Spoilers Podcast. Thank you so much for downloading and checking us out this week. We're going to get right into it with a little bit of news, Rodrigo. All right. So uh, we start the news off with the news of the passing of George Paris. Uh, the comic book artist passed away last Friday from, from uh, pancreatic cancer. Paris is best known for his work with the Avengers, Teen Titans, and the 1987 relaunch of Wonder Woman. Uh, Paris was also the artist on Crisis of Infinite Earths and gave Lex Luthor his classic battle suit in the pages of Action Comics. Uh, quote, George Paris had an art style that was both dynamic and incredibly expressive, DC publisher and chief creative officer Jim Lee said in a statement. His art was a perfect storytelling canvas for some of the most important events in DC history. Uh, while he will be sorely missed, his work will live on with a uh, with a countless number of fans, as well as all the talent he's influenced over the years. End quote. Yeah, man, he will be lost. Uh, will be missed. Will uh, be missed we yeah. just mi- we just lost uh, Neil Adams uh, the week before, and now uh, George Perez. So uh, sad times for big for big giants in the uh, in the comic book industry. Yeah, I mean, if, you get, yeah, if you get a chance, there's actually an episode of Teen Titans Go. Uh, where George and Marv Wolfman voice George and Marv Wolfman. Wow. And it's, yeah, it's just that there's a couple of them, but there's one that's just a 15 minute joke about George and Marv desperately trying to come up with an idea for the Teen Titans to save DC comics from ruin. But it's, it's the only time I've ever heard George's voice. Mm-hmm. And it's it's wonderful because George and Marv both have these New York accents and they're just volleying stupid ideas back and forth throughout the whole episode. <laughs> it's really, really cool. But, That's cute. Yeah. Uh, all right. There's a new doctor on the way. This past weekend, Nkote Gatwa was announced as the next doctor replacing Jodie Whittaker for the next round of uh, shows on the BBC. Gatwa is best known for his work on the Netflix series Sex Education. The 29-year-old actor is not the youngest actor to play the uh, doctor. The distinction goes to Matt Smith, who was 26 when he played the time-traveling hero. Uh, I suspect, now, the interesting thing is, for those people who don't know, Gatwa is uh, Rwandan descent. Uh, he's Scottish mm-hmm. Rwandan. Uh, so he uh, is is got dark skin, and mm-hmm. uh, he is not the first person of color to play uh, the doctor. Uh, one could look most recently to the fugitive doctor. Uh, then we can even go back to Peter Davison um, as well. Um, and so I, I think that the people who are going to make a big deal out of this don't need to make a big deal out of this. I think everything's fine. Well, and sure. I think that this is a kind of a next logical step for, for doctor who, I think there's a lot of people who still kind of wish that uh, Idris Elba was uh, the doctor, but uh, this, this young uh, actor looks, uh, looks pretty good. So yeah, I'm really excited. Uh, yeah. So you know what? You know what? This announcement, or kind of the series of announcements that have come up about uh, Doctor Who, uh, really made me made me think about uh, is that um, you know Russell T Davies started the the new series, then mm-hmm. mm-hmm. uh, we got Stephen Moffat, which I did mm-hmm. not like, and then we got uh, Chibnall. Is it Chibnall? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Which I. Which I, I was just like very indifferent about. Like I, I, I didn't. I, it just didn't spark joy in me or whatever. And now when they said that Russell T Davies was coming back because he's coming back, right? Yes. Um, I'm like, oh man, I'm one of those nerds that can say like I haven't liked the Doctor since Russell T Davies was was doing it. I hate that we went through two whole things and I didn't like them. 
And now I'm like, I feel like I'm one of those guys who is like, oh, the doctor was only good when he was wearing a leather jacket and or Converse's. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. And uh, I actually I saw an interview with him and uh, he wanted to explain. Apparently, his first name is pronounced Shuti. Oh, OK. Uh, oh, which okay. is which is actually pretty cool. But more entertainingly, he was talking about, you know, his fandom of Doctor Who. And of course, you know, he's 26. So it's all, you know, new, new school Doctor mm-hmm, Who. Mm-hmm. But apparently he's also, you know, looking at the old stuff as well. So I'm really, really excited just because it feels like three years is about all we get anymore. You get about three years of a current Doctor. Sure. And then, you know, they move on. And Chibnall's era to me has been all about unfulfilled potential. And I feel like going back to, uh, you know, Russell Davies, for all of the things you can complain about, and there are things to complain about, the man knew how to land an ending in a way that none of the modern Doctor Who showrunners have. So I I do hope that 13 has a solid ending. I do hope that Jodie can go out on a super high note. I feel like, you know, season 13. I think her stuff is done already, isn't it? Uh, There's still... It's it's in the can, but there's still stuff we haven't seen yet. Mm. We have not seen, um, I think there may be either one or two more, but we haven't seen the actual regeneration yet, and we haven't seen her final, you know, goodbyes. Does, but Does she have, a uh, like, a Christmas special in the can or anything? I, or, there or is something is, in the can. When is this changing over? Uh, well, the no New word. Year's Eve special to this year uh, aired, weirdly, on New Year's Eve. And I think for the last three or four years, it's been a New Year special rather than a Christmas special. But I want to say that Jody season 13 was the six episode flux arc. And then there were either three or four specials throughout 2022. So I would say that if we don't if we don't hear something by Christmas, that we're going to have another, you know, it's going to be a spring thing. But I also wonder if they're making this announcement, if they haven't started shooting with Gatois. He said he found out. So the announcement came from BBC on Sunday. Okay. To mm-hmm. coincide with the BAFTA awards. Uh, yeah. He has known that he was going to play the doctor since February. Okay. Uh, but they didn't say anything about whether any shooting had begun. And I know that uh, Russell T uh, may have been behind the rumors that he wanted to bring back uh, David Tennant to play the 14th doctor after playing the 10th doctor. Mm. There, I, I read something where, where, where Russell was just like, Tee-hee, I may have put out some false leads. Oh, <laughs> man. 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 Well, so, it, you know, again, going back to uh, what you said, Matthew, about Jodie Whittaker only gets three seasons and it like, seems like we're only getting three seasons out of people. Um, yeah. If you go by what Hollywood does, I don't know how, um, you know, acting unions go other places, but three seasons for regular American television is pretty much where the line is drawn between not having to pay you more and having to pay you a lot more to come back right, for yeah. seasons four right. on. So a lot of this can be down to, Hey, I've done my time. I've done my three, five years, however long, uh, you know, a BBC season lasts anymore. Right. Uh, and, uh, it's just too expensive for them to continue on with that character, uh, to do that. Yeah. They can go and get somebody new because bing, bam, boom, uh, do some flashing and I don't want to goes and there you're a new doctor. Right. Okay. Not everybody says, I don't want to go. Uh, but, you know, uh, on the heels of finding that new Doctor Who is in the works, I'm also excited to let you know that HBO has now confirmed their fourth, confirmed rather, their fourth season of Westworld is on the way. Uh, apparently, the first of the new eight episode season is scheduled to hit June 26th on HBO and HBO Max. Uh, joining the cast in season four is Ariana DeBose, who I saw last in West Side Story. But as, you know, per usual, there's no real word on what her role is, or as far as I can tell, even what's going on in the next season. Uh, season three, of course, aired in the before times or close to the before times, like early 2020. Yeah, so, the final episode of that came out in May of, 20, of 2020. Yeah. And I remember I, I enjoyed season three, but I feel like season three of Westworld is also the point where everybody who was entranced with season one just sort of fell away and started watching mm. other things. What so. happened in season two? Is season two where they killed, uh, what's his face? Yeah, season, well, at the end of season one, they killed uh, Hannibal oh, okay. Lecter. 
So I guess I didn't come back for season two then. I guess I knew kind of what some of the stuff was going on, but then I never really came back for season two or three. So maybe I'll go back and and recheck those out. As I've told you many times, the things that you said you knew about season two are, in fact, wrong, many of them. I don't um, remember I, what I said about that. So yeah, I don't. I don't either. But we had a discussion where you're like, I knew this and this and this was going to happen, and I'm like, but that's well, not no. What I happened. think didn't they go into uh, War World or uh, uh, whatever whatever they the did, other worlds were? They did with Samurai Mojo. World. Yes, with Mojo. <laughs> yes, with Mojo. Yes, they Samurai did give us some War World. Camelot they did world give us some Samurai World, um, Roman World, and most of that was kind of metatextual because. Somebody was trying to save Maeve, who had played the uh, the the house mother of the brothel. Was that uh, Tandy? Um, uh, yeah, Tandy Newton. Yeah, yeah. And they actually stashed Maeve in War World to protect her and like hid her programming. So even though you know this was another bot that looked just like Tandy Newton, it's you know something where oh she also secretly has all of the programming that Maeve has she just has to remember it so yeah the only thing that I really have a problem with HBO and Netflix and even BBC is that I'm fine with short seasons right and certainly we ended up with a pandemic that really put the kibosh so I can kind of give Westworld a little bit of forgiveness here but man some of these networks first of all Netflix waits until after a season series has been released before they give the green light for them to start up on a new season, if there's going to be a new season. So it's like, okay, everybody shut everything down. And then in a year from now, we're going to tell you, start it all back up and hope that everybody is still available. And I think Westworld, yeah. And Westworld, I think uh, suffers from that. I know that there've been a number of shows uh, on, on HBO that just feel like, unless you're, you know that you're going to be in constant production for this. If we have to wait a year, two years for the show to come back, people are going to move on to something else. And so hopefully well, like people Westworld, come back for the fourth season of Westworld. But my goodness. And, and again, I know pandemic. Yeah. Uh, but man, uh, two but years before the pandemic, uh, Westworld had two year breaks between. Yeah. Seasons, see, and season that's one was 2016. Yeah. See, that's a, I feel like a long time that maybe that's another reason yeah. why I didn't come back to uh, season season two. It's just like it's been so long. I really don't care. It's so, like yeah, I, I, don't know. I I feel like. Uh, there has to be something in between back when shows used to have like 20 something episode seasons because they mm-hmm. wanted to be on syndication. And right. now when episode, when shows have five episode seasons, mm-hmm. um, it's like, there has to be there, there, there should be like a happy medium somewhere where they give us like eight episodes. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, and they, they have a lot of players and they have a lot of people who are, you know, in, in season one, I didn't know who, some of these people were, you know, Jeffrey Wright. I knew the name, uh, Rodrigo Santoro. I knew the name, but, uh, there's even a Hemsworth on the show. Mm-hmm. Although I think the Hemsworth isn't coming back. Cause I think the Hemsworth died, but you know, you get to a point where when this show started, it had this unknown, uh, weird thing going on with a woman named Tessa Thompson. Who, right. I don't know if you guys had heard of her, but in 2016, it's like, Hey, here's somebody here. And now getting Tessa Thompson is kind of a big get so i don't right. know if it's one of those things you have well, to but, get her away from love and thunder there's, there's so, a scars guard in there and there's so a, uh a on on cinemax there. also on hbo max uh is warrior which is kind of a kung fu not quite a kung fu remake but it's from the creator and from bruce lee's uh daughter of kung fu and warrior went for two seasons on hbo max and people really really loved it they only just announced like three years after the show was done with their second season that, Oh, we're going to come back with a new season of, of warrior. And it's like, man, is it, is it, it feels like it's almost too late to do that. Uh, we were talking in the pre-show about upload. Um, season two ended, I want to say last year. Um, and they're just now announcing that, Oh, we've just started writing for season three. And it's like, that means it's going to be another year before you get season three out on of of that show and it just feels like there's going to be too much momentum lost when you do that so hopefully westworld uh season four is good and uh, hopefully a lot of people come back but i i gotta i gotta worry when these when these networks constantly delay uh the release of some of this stuff and hopefully and then are surprised when their fandom doesn't come back so anyway i i think that you know in the modern streaming era that may not be the problem that it used to be i mean you know look at red dwarf 19 seasons in 37 years, you know? 
Uh, listeners, you can join the conversation about these stories and more over on our Discord server. You can join the Major Spoilers Discord server for free, and we would love to see you join our growing community of awesome spoilerites. There is a link in the show notes, and cat gifts are waiting for your arrival. So get on over there. All right, we're going to jump into some reviews right now. Matthew, why don't you start us off with uh, DC Comics One Star Squadron? I believe this is the final issue of the series that came out last week. It am, it am. One Star Squadron, number six of six, uh, written by Mark Russell, art by yeah, that, uh, Steve Lieber, whom I really, really enjoy. And um, I think, I can't remember if it was issue two or issue three, I had previously reviewed here on the Major Spoilers podcast. And I felt like maybe it needed to be revisited because I remember being kind of negative and feeling like, you know, I was mad about the way that issue went. And I was even madder about issue four and slightly less mad about issue five. But when issue six came out last week, I realized that why, first of all, why I was mad. And second of all, the fact that I was mad was an intentional decision uh, on the part of the way the, the creators, the way this story is structured. And I'm still mad about it. But I will tell you that issue six is a more satisfying read. It picks up a year and a half after issue five. Uh, during the events of issue five, the Heroes for You business, where Red Tornado and Power Girl and the other uh, lesser-known superheroes were working in a combination telemarketing sort of superhero Uber service, uh, got burned to the ground. Everybody blamed Power Girl because Power Girl had been the villain of the first arc. Uh, the only female character in the book, I might add, was being played as the villain and uh, a total backstabbing, you know, climbing jerk. And so this story picks up with Red Tornado a year later, having gotten his life back together, but also trying to figure out what to do now and tracking down all of his old colleagues, uh, finding that, you know, G.I. Robot is now uh, teaching at a night school. And, you know, the heckler is apparently interviewing to work with Lex Luthor, who it turns out was actually the money behind the heroes for you in the first place. But it has a nice moment in that Power Girl apologizes for her behavior. They kind of in story justify what was happening with Power Girl, which I like. But then we also do get closure on a couple of the other characters, including a character called Minuteman, who is a, a full-on Miraclo addict, but has been abusing it for so long that he has exactly 60 seconds of power. And so we find out what really happened with Minuteman. Uh, by the way, they killed Gangbuster. If you like Gangbuster, uh, you're the other guy. But they killed mm -hmm. Gangbuster, and I'm mad about it. And I feel like my this this final issue wraps things up quite well. like really well and had it not been five issues of crushing existential despair followed by 20 pages of maybe life's not as bad as you think i feel like i might have been more on board you know i really loved mark russell's uh take on the flintstones even though some of it was very flip kind of you know uh kind of self-help uh quickie nonsense or things like the origin of religion, you know, that were happening in there. They weren't necessarily deep insights, but they were kind of insights to human nature. And they were interesting insights. That was here too. But I feel like the heart was missing. And I realized now that the heart was missing because they were actually trying to make a point about jobs in telemarketing, about jobs, you know, in Uber, about the gig economy. But there's also that moment of if I'm going to read 120 pages, you can't crush my soul <laughs> for 100 of them. Now, that said, One Star Squadron number six is a good wrap up. It is really, really well drawn. Uh, uh, Steve Lieber draws an incredible red tornado. This may be the best red tornado I've seen since probably, I don't know, let's say Don Heck back in 88. But uh, it's. Three out of five slices of meatloaf. It's the ending that I wanted from the book that I thought this was, but it's not the ending for the book that this was, if that makes any sense. So if you're going to pick this up, know that I liked it better than the previous ones, but also know that my problems are still extant and they killed Gangbuster. How many slices of meatloaf did you give it? 
three okay. slices of meatloaf. Okay. All right. Uh, also out last week from Ablaze Publishing is Bellet and Valeria number one. Uh, Ablaze Publishing, if you haven't uh, been following, they have been taking the um, the Robert E. Howard Conan, uh, Hyperborea, Hyperbaria, Hyperbaric Chamber stuff and translating it very, very well into comic book form. The Sumerian series, I think, uh, stands head and shoulders above anything that Marvel is doing with the Conan property right now. Uh, Bellet and Valeria is kind of taking two of Howard's properties and mashing them together into an original story. So the Sumerian stuff is just straight up. We're adapting the short stories. In fact, we're putting the short stories in the back of the comic. So you can read the short stories side by side with the comic. And I think that's great and wonderful. This doesn't work as well. In my opinion, uh, this is a story where Valeria has been, uh, well, apparently the, the pirate uh, queen has been dead and she's, uh, risen back to life. And the first thing she wants to do as she climbs out of the ocean is go and find a guy who's hung like a horse and uh, bang his brains out. And it's just like, okay, that's the first three or four pages of, of the issue. And then we get onto the ship where they have Valeria captured in the hold and they're returning her to uh, somebody who uh, I guess uh, quote unquote owned her and was expecting to do all sorts of sexy time things with her. And then the, rich guys wizard turns on him and uh and everybody and sends a giant snake and somebody has to expose their breasts and it just i don't know it just doesn't feel like a howard joint uh and it's not i mean it, it's something brand new in fact the backup piece in this issue is um howard's uh, article or whatever he wrote in 36 or 37 somewhere around there on hyperborea and all of the lands. And so it's the a whole world building thing where he talks about that. So this is just, this feels something, something new and different. And I just really didn't care for it. Uh, I think the, the writing is, or the plotting is fine. I think the dialogue, uh, I could use a lot less of the foul language that, that is throughout the book, um, for no other reason than to just ha have foul language. And it's not like, uh, fantasy foul language like winches and stuff like that. It's it's straight up F words and B words and all of that stuff. And that kind of turned me off uh, when reading this. So uh, and the art is fine. Uh, I don't know. I just didn't care for this book. And I don't think if you're a Robert E. Howard fan, maybe you will. If you're someone who is um, all up into uh, what was that artist name uh, Valerio Valerio or whatever the, the that artist is that does the fantasy stuff. Or if you're into um Who's the other one that did all the, the fantasy Conan stuff? Boris Vallejo. Uh, Boris Vallejo. And who's the other one? Um, Frazetta. Frazetta. Yeah. If you're into that kind of stuff with uh, half naked ladies and, and beheadings and all of that stuff, then you might enjoy this, uh, you know, cause that's kind of, it feels like it's the same tone, but this to me just didn't work. And I'm, I'm going to give it two slices of meatloaf out of five. I, I really was liking what a blaze was doing with their uh, adaptation of animal farm and what they're doing with Sumerian. This one just kind of fell flat on me. So I'm going to say no thank you to a second helping of of this meatloaf. So there you go. Uh, Rodrigo, you're going to wrap up our uh, review segment with a look at Speed Republic, which uh, you have reviewed before on this show. Yeah, uh, we're up to Speed Republic number four. I've talked about it before. Uh, written by Ryan Lindsay, artist Emmanuel Parascandolo. Um, put out by Mad Cave Studios. And uh, yeah. Uh, if you'll recall, Speed Republic is the story of a dystopian world in which the entirety of Europe is uh, controlled by a guy uh, called uh, or known as the Autocrat. And um, when I first started reading the book, I assumed that that was just like a, a thing where like the... Um, you know that the writer was like eventually i'll come up with a better name for the autocrat than the autocrat and then just kind of was like well i'll just call him the autocrat um it, it wasn't until i was sitting down reading it this that i realized that this is a book about driving and the main villain has the word auto in his name um so i don't know if that was on purpose or not but uh, if it if it is then watch me spend four issues getting a joke um <laughs> 
So uh, things really heat up in this one. Um, we've been introduced to the sister of the main character, who is now really a, a main character in her own right. Um, and uh, we also find out that somehow the fascist like uh, guy that put in this Hunger Games-ish uh, Circus Maximum Circus Maximus uh, drive across Europe in order to uh, distract the masses is actually a worse person than we expected. And the way that uh, they rose to power was actually even more bad. Um, but there is some hope. And now not only are the main characters tied up in the race, but they're tied up into a sort of resistance, at least for one specific aspect of the autocrat's control. Um, it's pretty solid. Art is real good. Um, there are some moments where it's kind of tough to tell what's going on. Um, and and really, that's just because I, I, I think that... I think that a lot a lot happens in this issue, and I think that it would have benefited a little bit more from like a little bit more room to breathe a little a few more shots of like where's this car going what's happening um but uh there's a lot of there's a lot of stuff to cover um I'm gonna give it three and a half slices of meatloaf I'm enjoying it uh, absolutely nothing wrong with this book if you are looking for something um yeah something um not post-apocalyptic, but definitely dystopic. Um, this is this is this is a good book to to pick up. All right, there you go, uh, listeners. You can head over to the Major Spoilers website for even more uh, reviews and news and previews. And if you want, you can uh, thank every and, and we want to thank everyone who supports the show and all the shows in the Major Spoilers Podcast Network. Uh, this week, we're sending thanks out to Jesse, to Mark Smith, and to Brainiac, who are who are our newest bosses. We're waiting to give you a shout out on this show. All you need to do is point your browser to patreon.com slash major spoilers. If you got any questions, comments, etc., you can also drop us an email podcast at majorspoilers.com. You might hear your uh, question, comment, etc. cetera, uh, brought up on an upcoming episode. So there you go. Okay. We are getting into the trade paperback of the week. It's monstrous volume one from image comics, Marjorie Liu and Sana T- uh, Takeda. Um, Hmm. All right, so this is set in an alternate universe. Uh, this is an alternate history. Uh, this is definitely 1900s Asia, but more of a steampunk fantasy Asia. Sure. Uh, where you have uh, essentially two two groups of people. You have humans, and I'll put that in, in air quotes. And then you have, uh, what are they called? The Arcana? Uh, and they are people that Arkans, I think. Uh, Arkans, okay. They have. They are essentially what you might think of as uh, mutations. People that are different. Uh, a lot of them often have some kind of animal uh, hybrid. So there's a little girl that we meet who's got a like fox ears and a fox tail. Uh, you might see some people who have wings, and you you see those kinds of of things. Uh, the humans and the and the uh, others do not get along well. In fact, the humans there's a group of witches that run around and think that if they eat these, uh, the, the mutant uh, people that they can get this uh, special thing, Lilium or whatever it's called. Lilium, yeah. yeah. And they can get their powers by drinking that. So that means that they have to kill these people a little bit at a time, maybe chop off a finger here, an arm here, a leg here, you know, a torso here, a head. Uh, so I got to warn you that there's some, some body horror stuff that if you're a body horror person, you probably don't want to review or want to uh, re- read this book. That that will be the first thing that uh, that I will say. That being said, holy crap, the art in this is beautiful. Yeah. Oh my god. I uh, uh, I don't the just the the colors. I don't know who the colorist is on this. I don't have it here in my notes uh, ahead of time. Sorry about this. But the colorist in here just does a magnificent job. It may be uh, Takeda, but I think uh, Takeda does all of the art. Yeah, my yeah. goodness, the art is just so beautiful, page after page after page. Oftentimes, I'm just finding myself staring at the intricate detail of the steampunk brass and and metalwork that's everywhere around you. Uh, I'm staring at all of the you know Professor Catman who's telling you the history of this world. Uh, the art and drawings in that is just 
it's just beautiful stuff. And even the stuff that gets horrifying, like when the monsters come out, when the evil uh, head is revealed, you know, it's it's pretty to look at. Oh, sure. yeah. What what did you think there, Rodrigo? Anything to add on the art side? Uh, no, I, I I do think that it, it's not just it's not just really good, but also both the art and really the color, and and to a lesser degree the attention to detail, which is, which is also great, right? There's like backgrounds are like incredibly detailed in this, but it's this mm-hmm. kind of like sort of like density that makes and made monstrous a completely different book from everything else that was coming out, right? It's like when you, if you were at a comic book store and you saw a book that had come out from like Marvel or DC or whoever, um, and then you saw monsters and you opened monsters, it's like that book didn't, doesn't look like anything else, mm-hmm. right? It has kind of its own unique like palette and, and look, it's like, the palette is is basically like uh what if what if you burned somebody's head in a fireplace that was made of gold <laughs> yeah 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 so uh, matthew you want to add anything onto art i feel like there are definitely influences from manga and influences that aren't necessarily naturally seen uh in western comics that we see cuz there's a point early on where there's a character who is an arcanic and he has this crazy kind of almost an Oni face and his eyes are pointing outward at different angles. And I'm like, I really feel like I've seen that sort of archetype. And throughout here, there are moments where I feel like I've seen this, or this is referencing, you know, something that specifically appears in comic books and, and a manga that you don't see in the United States. And so oh. Oh, this thing is manga. Oh God, yes. This, and I, this thing I really is this thing that. is manga so hard it just doesn't look like it. And the <laughs> art is so like the art is so its own thing that it took mm-hmm. me a very long time to be like, oh, I'm reading manga. Yeah, right. It's it sneaks it in, and I think part of it is the way that it so skillfully sews together the you know the the basic uh, building blocks of manga with the right. building blocks of, you know, kind of a United States, not necessarily superhero comics in the U.S., but definitely indie comics in the United States. This feels yeah. like it's got chunks of everything that came out of Top Cow for the last 15 years, too. And I just, oh, man, you cannot understate how beautiful these these issues, this comic is. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's just really good. I mean, this this thing gets an A-plus just from, just from the art alone, uh, and it's worth picking up. Uh, on the story side, this really is a, you know, a racial uh, story. This is a, you know, it, it, it has issues. It also has, you know, the, the one child, uh, we get this, this girl who has been struggling all her life with something that happened in her past. And as the story is revealed, we find out that, you know, her mother and the, one of the lead uh, top dogs in the, in the witch society, uh, we're friends with one another and she has some artifact that can help her unlock things, but she has something inside of her that is, that is, uh, troubling her, that is consuming her. I mean, she's, she's got one arm, which supposedly has been maybe taken off by one of the witches or taken off in this blast that she saw during the great war between their. Yeah. And then we get to this, uh, this idea that, uh, inside of her is a monster, an old one. Uh, so this has some Lovecraftian horror mixed in with it, cosmic horror mixed in with it, where there are these old gods that want to come and feast on the humans. And somehow that these, this mask that, uh, her mother and her, and her then friend, uh, uncovered somehow opened this gateway to letting these monsters through and somehow, through the generations, this one monster has been living inside um, the lineage all the way down to to our lead girl. And okay. this monster inside her needs to feed. And it feeds by coming out and eating people, uh, sucking their life force or killing them or whatever. And um, uh, yeah, uh, let's just say there's little children in this book and at least one of them doesn't come out alive by the end of the second chapter. And yeah. that is if you don't like, uh, well, there's child torture, there's child killing right. in this. 
uh, this is going to be very disturbing for you in that sense. So you, again, there's all sorts of warnings that I want to uh, alert you to in this. Still, the art's amazing. Uh, yeah, this is a brutal, brutal comic. Yeah. So I, what did you guys think? I mean, I know, Matthew, you're uh, anti-child endangerment stuff. <laughs> but, you know, here's these two little children that have been locked up and tortured by this horrible. You think that uh, Granny Goodness is bad. Uh, there's this jailer in, in the first chapter that we meet is just like the worst kind of person in the entire world. Uh, so when she dies, it's kind of kind of deserving. But when the two little kids and our and our lead character uh, make it out of, out of the uh, fortress, out of the prison. And then the girl is like, I got to feed. And the little one of the little kids doesn't make it. It's it's horrifying. See, and my thing is not necessarily that I'm anti-child endangerment. I don't like it when it's used as shorthand, as a shortcut to, hey, you want to make somebody evil, uh, threaten a child. Not necessarily even, and I know this sounds terrible, having a story where somebody follows through and eats a child in some ways is actually less distressing to me. Yeah than having that the Joker threaten to, you know, poke a child's eyes out with a pencil. So I definitely see that. And I, you know, one of the reasons I stopped reading Monstrous uh, in probably the first four or five issues was simply because the visuals got more intense than I was comfortable with. And the story remained, I think, a little more, a little more nebulous, a little more esoteric than I was able to, you know, come up for every month, every month, every month. It is. It can be a little tough to follow. Yeah, it, it's definitely, you know, and again, you know, we're looking at something that has elements, I think, of myth that if you're familiar with the mythology or if you're familiar with the places that these stories come from, feel like they probably make a lot more narrative sense. Than I can't remember someone who comes in blind. I can't remember if it was in the first issue or not, but Marjorie Lou talks about. Um, how her parents were in mm-hmm. China when Japan invaded and how they, I don't know if they were in uh, camps, rape camps. She talks about rape camps and talks about torture camps and all of these things that happened during mm-hmm. world war two. And yeah. that definitely influences in my mind, the kind of the horrific nature of the war and conflict between the two different groups in this book. And so you really kind of see a lot of that in here. And that trauma, I think, permeates the story throughout, which if you kind of understand that background, that maybe this is maybe not an allegory, but heavily influenced by uh, Japanese incursions into China during World War II, then I think that you maybe have a little bit better understanding of where the story is coming from in that sense. But man, it is still it's still brutal. Rodrigo, thoughts? Uh, yeah, no, it is. It's uh, it's very violent. Um, it's got a lot of stuff going on. You know, it's there's something about it that is it's just like consistently to me consistently interesting because yeah, it's the the world feels very fleshed out. Um, and the 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 current state of this world is an extremely dire one mm-hmm. right it's like forget the fact that there are you know monstrous entities that might make an incursion into the world or whatever um that's i mean that might be worse but it's not it doesn't seem worse than what the quote unquote you know normal denizens of this world are doing to each other mm-hmm. right so yeah it's a war story it's a story about characters that are trying to accomplish something that sometimes aligns and sometimes is perpendicular to the war. Um, And so they kind of end up having allies and enemies on both sides. Um, And yeah, definitely, I think going into this and thinking, like knowing that this is a war story, that not that people don't just get killed, but get tortured and or get maimed. Um is is something that helps a lot right if you unfortunately if you sit down and discover that monsters is a war story um Mm -hmm. you might not like it as much as if somebody maybe ahead of time is like hey by the way um 
it, yeah. th- this is like this is a story that takes place at the beginning of basically this world's World War Two, essentially, because there had mm-hmm. already been a war, right? And right. now there have been right. some like a, a tenuous peace, and now everything's starting up again. Yeah, and it does yeah, uh, at, at the same time. Really good advice. Yeah, at the same time, even though this is a war story, it's also big epic fantasy because even though we get the first six issues and I'll talk about that in just a moment. Um, we get the building blocks of here are these, uh, very different characters that are coming together to go on an epic quest to find the other pieces of this mask, to solve the riddle of why this monster and, uh, what's her name? Mika, uh, are, Mika uh, are joined together. And, you know, can she put the, the demon back in the box? Can she, uh, make sure that none of the, the great old ones come through to destroy, you know, this world. Uh, so it does set it up for that big, epic, sprawling fantasy that you would see in your Demon Slayer, or your Hunter X Hunter, or whatever that you're watching in your anime worlds uh, or reading in your manga worlds. Um, so there is that 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 is there, which I think is also the next appeal to this, because this goes on for. Oh man, it's like seven, uh, 41 issues. I want to say is how long mm-hmm. it goes. So you've got a lot of reading ahead of you, uh, in that sense. So you can get a big story going through and who knows how it changes. I mean, it may keep the violence up to this, to this level, uh, going forward. But, uh, I think if you know ahead of time what you're getting into, I, th- I think it's a little bit easier to stomach because for me, I was, I literally got through the first issue and I was like, man, what did I what did I do here? Oh, you know, what are, what are we reading this time? Uh, you know, how, how is this going to be accepted? And then I went back and started reading the next, uh, two or three issues uh, a couple hours later. And then it wasn't until Monday that I finished the, that I finished the series, which normally for me, I sit down and read everything in one sitting, but this is one that I definitely had to take breaks and collect my thoughts and kind of reframe about, okay, what is this? What is this story doing? What is it telling me? How is, how is, you know, how is this talking about, um, I don't want to say female empowerment, but you don't have like a lot of male characters in this. No, most of the characters in this women. book are women. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you have to say, okay, what's it saying about the matriarchy and, you know, what is it talking about a conflict and people that we view as different from ourselves? Uh, you know, there's a lot of things to think about as you go through, through this series. Um, mm-hmm. So in this first volume, it's it's tough to swallow, but I but I do like it. And I think that part of the reason that that happens is because it is a first volume. You know, we talk about sometimes a, a first issue feels like it has to front load a lot of story and a lot of you know events to really lock you down. And I remember reading the first issue of this and thinking, my God, there's so much that I don't know. Mm-hmm. They're giving me, yeah. you know, they're giving me this, this glimpse of a, you know, a much bigger world, you know, kind of a world in a, like a, I hate to say the E word, but it, an Ender's Game sort of feel was what I had. And I remember, you know, reading that first book of that cycle and going, oh man, is there more, you know, sort of that same thing that you'll run into people are like, Hey, you know, the Lord of the Rings, man, you read that first book and you want tons more book. Now I didn't have that experience, but I definitely feel like this brings that hard. It puts so much, you know, feeling and intensity and horror, you know, not horror in horror comic sense, but horror in a real world horror, terrible things are happening to people who don't necessarily deserve terrible things happening to them. And it kind of sets you up in a really satisfying way for all of what comes later. And I, I do appreciate that. Yeah. Even though, you know, I did kind of give up on the book. So going back to the issue, one thing, um, this is not, this isn't really a six issue trade as much as it's probably a nine issue trade because the first issue when it was released was 70 pages long. So basically the triple size, triple sized issue. And it's because there is so much world building and backfill that needs to go on to kind of give you an idea of what's going on in this world. And even then, uh, most of the other issues start off with some kind of a flashback to mm-hmm. uh, here's what's happened before. Here's what happened when they were digging in, quote unquote, Egypt, uh, you know, Egyptian lands to find this mask or whatever it was. 
Uh, so there's a lot of that. And then there's also these in segments that come at the end of each issue where, like I said, there's these uh, uh, Lord Fuzzy Bottom Professor, you know, Cat, Cat, yeah. Cattington, who goes and says, here's the history of our world and is doing these little cutesy things talking about how man hybrids came about and, and how this world was created and a little bit about the old God. So there is definitely a ton of world building going on. And as Matthew said, if you're someone that is into that stuff, I think you'll want to devour all of these, all of these issues because it feels like yeah. that is something that continues going forward. Rodrigo, what were you going to, what were you going to say? Um, I mean, yeah, I, I, I agree. Uh, Monstrous is, apparently pretty well awarded too. I think mm -hmm. it got a few Eisner's and the, mm -hmm. like a Bram Stoker award. Mm -hmm. um, so people noticed, you know, uh, so it's, uh, it, it, yeah, it's, it's a, it's an interesting synthesis of a lot of things. Um, again, if you told me, Hey, uh, I'm reading this book about or i'm reading this comic about a character who has an ancient monster inside of them uh, that sometimes comes out and fights so they have to control it uh, but they're also a super kick-ass fighter and also like they travel around with a little girl who's a fox and a and a multiple-tailed cat i was like okay so is this put out by shonen jump <laughs> um, but but when you look at monstrous it doesn't look like that right no, uh, no, no. and and it doesn't feel like that i i had to like again, I was just sort of getting all these cues, and I was like, "Where do I know this? These beats from?" And it's like, "Yeah, it's like, because because that's the other thing is that it it's a shonen anime, mm -hmm. or it's a, or it's a mm -hmm. shonen uh, manga, but it's a girl, right? And the like overwhelmingly the cast is women, um, and that's something else, something else about it that is unusual. Um, you know, I, I feel like a lot of writers are like. Oh, I got one for you. I got a good one for you. What if the bad guy was a lady? Or what if right. the protagonist was a lady? Or what if the bad guy and the protagonist were ladies? But it's very rare that you get like, what if everyone was ladies, yeah. right? Like, what if, what if you could just, what if you looked over the bridge of the, of the Death Star and all the officers were women? What movie is that? Right? It's right. like, that's, that's the different movie. That's a different world, mm -hmm. right? And um, and and monstrous is doing that. It's just kind of taking uh, bits and and pieces of of everything, like all writers do and like all creators do, um, and and weaving together something that's very unique. The thing with it's all women, and I know some some hopefully not our listeners, but somebody out there is like, "Ooh, all women in this? I don't want to read that." And it's like it doesn't come off that way, right? It it. I mean, yes, every speaking line or most of the speaking lines are from women. There's like one or two male characters in here uh, that we get in the 60th Street volume, but it feels very natural. It doesn't feel like they're forcing anything down people's throats. It's, you know, it's not like, uh, you know, there's for those of you that are, that are just like, oh, man, it's got to be men or nothing. It doesn't feel like it doesn't feel like that. Um, it feels very natural. And it also is. I, I find it very refreshing to tell it from that perspective. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it's just the characters that they are, and part of that is that they're women, right? Mm -hmm. uh, just mm -hmm. like you read tons of fiction where everyone's a dude, yeah. and obviously there's something about the fact that they're male that is relevant to their characters, um, but but it happens naturally, right? Yeah, right. yeah. It's the same thing here, you know, the, the, the femininity of the characters um, is not like on display or being questioned or being flaunted right, or anything right. like that. It's like, if you don't go in thinking how many women are in this comic, um, yep. you could get from the beginning to the end of it, of this volume and never think about the fact that right. the majority of the speaking lines are women. The, the one thing that I did find that was kind of funny, maybe telling maybe on purpose or whatever you know, normally, if you've got your cast of all men, you've got the one sexy lady, right? That is right, there to right. be sexy lady because she's sexy lady. There's a character that is one of the one of the hybrid characters that we find out a little bit more about his relationship with another character later on. But he's like beef man, a beef, yeah. beef, sexy guy on the pages. And I'm like, <laughs> oh, I wonder if that's done on purpose. 
you know, to kind of be a counterpoint to, okay, for all the, for all the, uh, cowboy bebop stuff out there with your fave Valentine's, here's our, right. our take on that. Now you also got the, the dark brooding guy in the form of the, uh, uh, like the Raven guy, the Raven guy. Yeah. The guy with wings, uh, that also is, is in that as well. So I, I yeah, I just, I, I just really like that, uh, a lot. Yeah, definitely. My favorite moment in this is like we are introduced to cats. Mm-hmm. And like one thing that I love about this book is that cats are, are a separate sentient race. Mm-hmm. It's like you have you have the elder ones and you have the humans and you have the Arcanians or whatever. And you have the cats mm-hmm. and there are. And what are they? They're magic cats. And it's like we meet one magic cat. And then later on, we meet another magic cat, and that magic cat is like the 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 first magic cat that you meet very much has that sort of like magical animal like tutor and like yeah. mentor to the main character role. The next cat you meet is opposing the characters, and like I was literally like, "Oh fudge, look at this cat!" Is this the one that has the <laughs> the eye patch and the sword? Yeah, the eye patch yeah. and the swords. It's like yeah. like I was like, oh no! Like I flipped the the page and like audibly, I was like, oh no, a cat! Yeah, like they've been kind of hyping cats this whole time, and we just met a second cat. This can't be good. Well, and especially thing- once you flip that page, you know that things are really not good. Yeah. Th- so there's a couple of other things that I find fascinating too, especially uh, first one. Let's talk about the cats. Is you have the humans and you have the Ar- the Arcanics who really hate each other. Mm-hmm. But then it seems like everybody hates cats. It's like, it's like, yes, we understand that the humans and the archaics have their differences, but at least they can both agree that they both don't trust cats, which I find, <laughs> you know, kind of that fascinating twist of either someone has a problem with cats or the fact that, you know, here's this other species that, that yeah. they can both hate on. The the cats occupy, again, a, a place in fantasy that I love when it's done properly. And it's this, like, older, wiser race that is not directly involved in this conflict, mm-hmm. right? Right. They, they the don't have, thing. unlike the humans and the ancients, and by extension the Arcanics, they don't have a city-state, right? The cats don't have, as far as we know, don't have their own city that is also warring with everything else. The cats just exist in nature, sort of in a different state. And some of them decide to help the humans, and some of them decide to play uh, help the ancients. Some of them, like one of them decides to help our main characters for his own reasons. I think I think the... the the main cat that we have in the in the party essentially is a boy. Yeah. Um but um yeah, it's it's a it's a fantasy trope that I really like is this idea that like first off it's like you you have this conflict between you know the 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 blurgards and the and the flurbots. Yeah. But but there's more in this world than those the, just those two, right? And the moment right. that you get so wrapped up in that conflict that you're like, okay, well, you have these two. There's this wild card that is like the other races or the other nations or the other whatever in this world that are not directly involved, but who have essentially agents that mm-hmm. are causing problems or helping you or helping you and then causing problems, you know, whatever. <laughs> I also find it interesting, too, that the cats are, you know, while they are supposed to be wise, they're not, they're still, I don't want to say dumb, but they're still uh, fallible, like, Oh, who said that? Oh, well, yeah. obviously the poets say said that. It's like, okay, who are the poets? It's like the poets are their answer to to everything, yeah. uh, kind of yeah. thing. They're not they're not dug from up, right? They're not they're not that you know easily distracted right. kind of thing. But you can tell that they have this wisdom, but they're also naive on a lot of things. Yeah, right? they're they're like a people, right? So they have yeah. their own culture, right? And Part of their culture, like we, you know, people have cultural fallibilities, things that our culture teaches us that either isn't right or doesn't or or other people don't believe. Right. It's like Mm -hmm. you go your whole life believing something then you meet somebody from another culture and you're like, oh, my God, this person operates in a completely different way from me. Yeah. Right. And, and, And I think Monsters does a good job of that, of showing us not just the two sides of a conflict. But also the other people, the other groups that are affected by this conflict, and more importantly, and and probably where it starts getting really complicated is all of the 
subgroups within each of those groups, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Because, because there is, just within the humans, there is, like, the state and the church, and there's, like, a lady who is, like, involved with that, but she also, she's the one that has the, the like, beefy hunk, like, hanging out with mm-hmm. her. Mm-hmm. Um, and their goals are not necessarily parallel to to the church's goals, right? Especially when we find out what the, like what the mother superior's deal is. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. So, so yeah, you have, and, and that is actually probably what starts to get really dense is that you don't just have each faction representing uh, each side of the conflict, but right. each side has actually multiple yeah so like there's right. nuance yeah. there's nuance in the conflict yeah. too so yeah. yeah especially when you get to the to the uh archaic arcanics and their uh dark council or whatever the that they're trying to take uh micah and uh the rest to is the mm-hmm. you know they're trying to get them there so that they can they want her to kill her and, and we find out that even inside that group there are people who are willing yeah. to say uh, maybe uh, maybe we ought to listen maybe we ought to not jump so much to conclusions so it yeah, is, that, yeah. that's I, a, I can imagine, yeah, I can imagine that this was actually pretty difficult to read month to month because you don't just have that, but then the events of each issue sometimes cause characters to change sides, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. So you're like, you, you go to the other thing and you're like, like I was flipping through this and at some point there's this lady who's important and she gets completely, she gets burnt up, but yeah. they save her. And basically, she's healing, but now she looks completely different because she has like third degree burns all over her body. Um, but now she looks like she's healing from that, right? Mm-hmm. So it's like I can imagine as like we haven't seen this characters, these characters maybe in one whole issue. Like issue two, this happens. Issue three, we don't see them. Issue four, they come back, and I'm like, I was reading that. I was reading the book as we were going, and I my first thought when I saw them is like. I remember these characters, but if I was reading this month to month, I wouldn't. Yeah. I would be like, right. "Here's some new characters that I have to care about." Yeah, because because it's pretty dense. It mm-hmm. like this whole feels very dense, mm-hmm. just like the art. Maybe because of the art too, like this feels very dense. I think that's going to be part of the appeal for people too. Is that if you mm-hmm. want something that you can, I, uh, a lot of people like put a lot of teeth into. Yeah, a lot of people put a lot contact. of. Uh, put a lot on saga, for example. Sure. I think that this is, is in that same vein of big epic yeah. fantasy yeah. with a lot of depth to it and a lot of nuance to it. That is worth uh, checking out. Now I said earlier that, you know, be aware that there's all of this, this horror and this stuff that goes on. There's a lot of stuff that happens off screen that we don't see. Like, for example, when we talk about the little boy uh, who gets, you know, devoured, we see him being drug off into the darkness and we don't see, you know, we don't see like, mm-hmm. I, I'm sure if this was manga of some level, we would be seeing, you know, teeth and, you know, stuff being ripped apart. Uh, but we just see this boy being drugged into the darkness. And then it's later that we see his desiccated body, uh, you know, yeah. again, not cut up, torn up or anything like that. There are other times where you ex- like, uh, I think it's the in between issues five and six where issue five ends with. Our heroes surrounded on all sides by both factions and you know something bad is about to happen and you're like, okay, the next issue is just going to be a giant fight. You get to issue six and it's like, nope, the fight's over. Mike has already been captured and locked away into a big thing and uh, we're just moving on. And there are a lot of those things in the story where not showing the stuff is almost as horrific and also as exciting as actually showing that stuff on on the page. And I oh, think yeah. that, that that really works well in here, especially when you go from and I think it was between issues two and three where they do a really big jump back into like some prehistory stuff. Some of of Micah's past when it was with her mother that when I first started reading, I was like, oh, crap, did I grab the wrong issue? Is there a volume two? And I grabbed issue three of volume two instead of, you know, issue three of volume one. <laughs> and then I was like, well, let me just keep reading it. And then all of a sudden you're like, nope, this uh, this is right on right on schedule where you were. So there's a lot of that that goes on in the story that I that I appreciate because this really could. I mean, and there's parts where like when uh, the demon is coming out of her arm and stuff where things do get a little gory. And when you find out what's going on with the, as Rodrigo said, Mother Superior, things get a little frightening. Uh, I would say some Cronenberg stuff, uh, frightening uh, type stuff, but, you know, edited for television Cronenberg stuff. 
So uh, what's who, everybody's? Who is what's Eric Cronenberg on television, even edited? Uh, the thing I watched the thing for the first time on CBS. They, they do air the the thing on cable, and then they're like, "Hurry up and get in here, you airhead!" Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. So yeah, there's that there's that kind of stuff that's going on. You still get to see some monsters, but you're just not seeing everything. So yeah. So uh, what's your bottom line, Matthew? The thing about Monstrous that I, I, I almost feel ashamed uh, that I tapped out. But I tapped out when I was originally reading this and went, nope. And not necessarily because it wasn't enjoyable and not necessarily because it wasn't gorgeous and well-written, but because it was something that really wanted a lot from me as a reader. And it does ask a lot of you. It asks you to remember a lot, to digest a lot. And to accept a lot. And it does it really, really well. So I kind of wish I I hadn't stopped. I mean, I have read the last issue, the last four or five issues, actually. And the ending, I feel, is as satisfying as this open. But I will warn you that this is definitely a book that I am recommending. I say you should check out. But also be aware of what you're getting. You are you are getting a book that's that's a bit of a commitment, and it's not going to let you sit by idly and just you know absorb it as mm-hmm. though it were an issue of All Star Squadron. But isn't that but isn't that also kind of the benefit of this book is that you oh, can yeah. get seven volumes of this, and you know you are in for you're in for a story. You're in for something. And I think and I don't I don't know if that's where you get that that idea of more bang for your buck because like you said. If you're just reading, you know, uh, the latest issue of uh, Uncle Scrooge, that's there for just, you know, kind of a real quick. Let me read this and, you know, however long it takes and boom, boom, boom. I don't have to I don't have to think much in an Uncle Scrooge comic. Uh, but this Scrooge one requires is probably you a bad to, example because Scrooge does this. Sort of thing. Eh, no, I don't think it does it like that. No, no, no. I wouldn't. I would say yeah, that if you're he, just a real he quick went through the old great white north, uh, the just a real quick read kind of thing. That's what you can find in other comics. This is definitely not it. Um so I don't know, Matthew, is that does that make it more for people that are really wanting something deep that maybe not, you know, are, are maybe casually into into comics, but they really like stuff that requires your attention? I think that would probably be more to their liking. I would say yes. I mean, if you're a fan of big, sprawling kind of, you know, fantasy or swords and sorcery or low fantasy type stories. Um, I don't know if I would call this high fantasy. I don't know. Sometimes I'm a little loose on those definitions, but there's a lot of, you know, fighty, fighty, sorceressy aspects in here. There's a lot of things that do feel reminiscent of a Lord of the Rings or, you know, some other large world building thing that we, you know, can talk about since three or four of the major ones have canceled themselves in the last four or five years. You know, you get to a point where, Yes, this is building something huge and complex and a really, really big narrative. And it's doing it in a way that, I mean, you can you can literally not read a word of these issues and just be stunned mm-hmm. and sit mm-hmm. and stare at these visuals and just be like, holy moly, I'm a terrible artist and I should just, you know, die in mm-hmm. fire because this is such a gorgeous comic book. I will never create anything this beautiful. Yeah, no, it's 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 really fantastic. For me, uh it is something that's going to make you think you're going to have to take your time with this comic. Uh, that to me is not necessarily a, a bad thing, but if you're in for epic story and epic quest and big journey type things, uh, I think that this is okay. I think this is really good. And I think this is really fascinating. I think there are some things that kind of turned me off, especially when it's like, let's take this little child away in chains and cut off its arm and eat it. Uh, I'm kind of like, mm, no, thank you. I don't want that kind of stuff. Um, but it's at one point, it's very horrific when you're reading it in the first issue, but by issue three, you know, the little Fox girl is just kind of, you know, resigned to saying, Hey, our people get eaten all the time. You're going to lose an arm and a leg if you're one of us. And I'm just like, Oh, that's uh, also traumatic in itself. So there is a lot of trauma, I think going on in this story, but I think in the end, it's kind of justified trauma to Mm -hmm. help you understand and to help the story move forward. Uh, I, I'm going to be thinking about this first volume for a long time and not in a way that, oh my gosh, why did I read it kind of thing? But more of a, hmm, so what does this mean? And so what does that mean? And what are the implications of this? And what are the implications of that? And I'm, I'm pretty sure that I'm probably going to end up reading more of this going forward. 
Uh, if nothing else, the art is just magnificent and is so deserving of your attention that I have to say this is a definitely check it out. But if you are into beautiful art, I'd say just buy it for the art alone. But this is definitely something that you should borrow first, read the first volume and see if it is if it's for you. Uh, Rodrigo, you are getting the final word this week on Monstrous Volume 1. Yeah, Monstrous is a it's a war book. It's a dense book. Um, and I, I know that there's some people listening that are excited by that prospect, by the prospect of a story and a world that is dark and dangerous and that there's a lot of lore to sink your teeth into. Um, and this may very well be the comic for you. I know a lot of people yeah. were uh, uh, annoyed at the Wheel of Time adaptation. I know a lot of people were annoyed at like the you know years and years ago the like sort of truth adaptation. It's like if you're looking for your your sort of like multi chapter epic media, this might be a good one to get into. If the rest of the volumes go this hard. You know, it's like this. This is honestly something that I might like. I, I have a list of things that my parents buy me mm -hmm. when it's gift buying time, mm -hmm. um, because they they have no idea what I like, and <laughs> and my my tastes are completely inscrutable to them. Yeah. So I might start putting you know volumes of monstrous monstrous on there, and like you know get a, a a volume a year from from whoever gives me things. Yeah. Um. Just to just yeah, just to get started on it. Uh. Previous, you know, it's it's a hollow tradition. You know, Hellboy has been there, Fables has been there. So yeah, Monsters definitely deserves to be up there. I'd say. Very good. All right, that wraps up for this issue. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. If you found value in the show, we would love for you to join our Patreon, where you can find even more fun, including Major Spoilers podcast pre-show, where we talked about Doctor Strange, we talked about Upload, we talked about uh, uh, Cashback, and of all things, Hudson Hawk. What do we talk about those things? We're just going to have to go check it out over there at patreon.com slash major spoiler. So until next time, we know that you love comics. We do too. We will talk with you soon. Fat Dick's revision of Superman. I could save a few bucks and stand around and read through the covers of the comics on the stand. But although every other page would be backwards, I suppose, I could still read the evens and the odds. Well, I don't know. Guess I haven't thought this all the way through. Plus, as soon as the comic book store guy knew, he kicked my butt out on the corner. What a major spoiler. What a major spoiler. Way. If I was hulking green or gray, I could just bust through that brick wall, take their comic books away. But then the little meat would deal with all the tanks and bombs and guns. Have you ever tried to read a series with all that going on? Guess I need to rethink this plan. How would I back and board my comics with such huge hands? Guess I already told ya. What a major spoiler. What a major spoiler. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What a major spoiler What a major spoiler If I'm Stark Raven rich like a man of iron I might not be surprised to find That I might actually have the hard cold To follow an entire storyline But would I really even need To read upon all those escapades I mean, who needs such distractions When your sister's such a babe But the downside is such a beast Being shot up in a fine Be in the Middle East With a King Santo and soldier what a major spoiler, what a major spoiler, yeah, 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 what a major spoiler, whoa, 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 what a major spoiler. This podcast is copyright 2022 by Major Spoilers Entertainment, LLC.